Um, welcome, thank you so much for your patience. We do have successful technology here at our fingertips. Um, thank you, thanks to these helpful staff. Can you all hear me? Great. Um, my name is Brittany Wood Nickerson. I'm the owner of Time Herbal. I live in Conway, Massachusetts, which is just about three hours from here in Western Mass. Um, and I'm the author of Recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen, um, which was available in the bookstore, um, but they've sold out of it. And um, if you go to the bookstore and order it, you can get free shipping, which is a bonus. Um, and I will be here after the class signing stickers. So if you want to take a sticker to bring home and put in your book, since I can't sign your book, um, I can do that if you want. Um, and you can also uh, get them on the, Mount, on the um, Mother Earth News website too, if you don't end up getting one today. So um, thank you so much for being here. This is a um, really fun talk topic for me. I'm a practicing clinical herbalist, and um, through my business, I offer herbal consultations, individual private wellness consultations for people that are wanting to work with their health. Um, and then I also teach a series of classes, starting with introduction to home herbalism, using herbs for home natural home remedies, um, and then moving through training people to be clinical herbalists if they're interested in going that route. And one of the things that I've learned in my practice as an herbalist um, is a lot about how people relate to their body and their relationships with food and other kinds of things that they like to eat and put in their body or do um, for fun. Um, and how to kind of help them navigate that relationship. Um, and I've learned that when people are developing a relationship with their body, it's like learning to speak a language. And um, we have ideas about health that are mostly fed to us through mainstream media. And oftentimes they're inaccurate in terms of how they relate to us as individual people, right? Um, they're based on large, often philosophical or scientific um, explanations of things that may hold some merit but might not mean anything to us as individual people. And so in working with people, one of the things I really like to do is help them learn the language of their body and help them to uncover and look deeper into what health might really look like for them. Um, and I wanted to start by sharing a story that I thought might kind of get us into this topic and uh, share with you a little bit more about what I'm, uh, where I'm coming from with this. So um, about five or so years ago, I had a client. She was in her early 20s, finishing college. And she was really struggling with seasonal allergies. And one of the things that we were working on was reducing stress in her life, enhancing her um, immune response, improving her, um, her immune health. Um, and then we were working with her diet because she was eating a lot of really heavy, rich foods that were contributing to mucus production um, in her uh, body and that were aggravating her allergies. So we were working with her allergy, uh, her diet at the same time that we were trying to support her digestion and her general immune health. And I remember one day her coming in um, for a consultation and telling me that she said, um, you know, like it's all good in theory to not eat ice cream, for example, but when it actually comes down to it, and especially if my boyfriend's sitting there at the table eating the ice cream after dinner, she's like, 
I just can't help it, you know? <laughs> and um, it, it was kind of became this conversation of, if I'm gonna be in dialogue between my body and my mind, my mind can almost always justify something, right? I can almost always say, it's really no problem to just have that ice cream. It's really no problem to just have that amazing, delicious, organic coconut bliss, right? Even if it is a cold day in January and you have snot running out of your nose, right? You can always, I deserve a treat, right? You can just always find some way to justify this um, indulgence. And um, I told her, it's not really about what's going on in your mind because you can always justify it. It's about how you feel in your body. And what I want you to start doing when you're thinking about what kind of food choices you're gonna be making is you know, maybe even shutting your eyes and thinking, how am I gonna feel in 15 minutes after eating this treat? Am I gonna feel good or am I not gonna feel good? And if you're really gonna feel good, go for it, embrace it, and have that be something that really um, works for you and kind of nourishes the soul, so to speak. And if you can really relate to the fact that it might not make you feel good, all this ice cream actually was giving her terrible stomach aches and gas, then you probably won't want it, right? Because all of a sudden, the visceral sensory experience of tuning into, listening to the language of your body, realizing that's not gonna make me feel good, goes into your mind and it does become a conversation of the mind and then the mind starts to win because the mind says, ooh, I don't want to feel gross and sick and have gas, right? Um, and so we can make logical choices if we let our body serve as a goal or as a, gu a guide um, to help us fuel or um, uh, inform those choices, okay? So um, she went on to um, take, uh, we worked with her digestion for several years actually, and um, she took uh, herbal bitters, which really helped her digestion and curbed her cravings, which is something we're gonna talk about. And I saw her the other day, ran into her, and um, she said, I really don't have allergies anymore. Um, and this is like four or five years later. So of course I was overjoyed to hear that. And she also said it's something that I'm continually managing and in dialogue with, right? So I think we have this idea um, in our healthcare system that when we have an issue or when we're sick, we want to cure things or fix them. And really it's an ongoing process, it's a relationship. It's a uh, language, we're in dialogue with our body and we're having that relationship. And so it's often a situation where she might be in relationship with this tendency towards allergies and these food cravings for a lot of her life. Um, and she's gonna learn how to manage that in a way that works for her, okay? So I wanna be really emphasize that that part of what we're doing here is I'm going to be uncovering and really digging deep into why we have these cravings, what physiological functions they serve in the body, and how we can work with them both on the kind of emotional, spiritual level and also in the physiological level, okay? So the goal of the day is to understand why we have these cravings and then to answer the question of why we have them. Um, and to also try to work a little bit with how we might physiologically support our body to have less of them, right? Because we don't always want to be in conflict with ourselves. We don't always want to be playing that mind game, should I have the ice cream or not have the ice cream? Sorry to pick out ice cream on a 90 degree day, <laughs> but it's a good example, right? Um, and we don't want to be in conflict in that way, right? So we want to really understand it. And so when we have those cravings, we'll kind of look into it and say, what's my body really telling me? That's how we're learning that language, okay? So, here we go. Um, this is the uh, table of contents for recipes from the Herbalist Kitchen. And it's not set up like a conventional uh, cookbook where we have like different types of foods like, you know, baked courses or entrees. It's not set up seasonally. It's actually set up around different relationships that we can have with food. And you'll notice that one of them is comfort. Because comfort and comfort eating and comfort foods are actually a really important part of 
our diet, of our lives. Um, historically, around the world, human beings have eaten for many, many, many reasons besides physical nourishment. We eat for celebration, we eat for ceremony and ritual, um, we eat for Thanksgiving, and we eat to enjoy each other's company, right? Because when we sit down and share a meal, that's really one of the things we're investing in. It's not just physical nourishment, but also emotional nourishment, right? Um, so comfort eating is um, totally natural and fits in with a larger kind of goal or um, result of food and eating, which is partly a relationship with sharing with ourselves and others, and also with sharing with where our food comes from, right? We have this whole beautiful local food movement. Part of the goal of that is reconnecting with that food so that when we sit down to a meal, we're engaging in a relationship, okay? Um, and so that's part of what's comforting, which we're going to kind of dig into. And so the reason why I wanted to show you this slide is because on here it's not just comfort. We also have foods that nourish, invigorate, challenge, transform, adapt, and then we have share as a whole chapter. How can you share and really work with the nourishment of food? So these, these most important things that we're going to be talking about for this talk are obviously comfort. And then we're going to talk about a lot of the invigorating recipes and a lot of the challenging recipes. Because the kind of thing that we're looking to do with supporting and curbing um, cr uh, comfort cravings or cravings in general is to introduce diverse flavor profiles into the diet so that we can diversify and that we can also challenge the body to support physiological function, which is going to help reduce those cravings at the level of our physiology, okay? So this is just an intro. I'll go into each of these things throughout the presentation, but I wanted to kind of share that as an outline to see where we're going and bring together some of the different connections around what I'm gonna be talking about. So. Um, comfort, demystifying the body's cravings, and like I said in my practice, I found this to be really powerful because um, a lot of times folks come in to see me and the first thing that they say is, please don't take my coffee away from me, <laughs> or please don't make me stop eating this or that other thing, and I'm like, I, you know, I really have the abundance mindset. I'm really all about adding things in, and then you can decide if you want to take things away. And what I often find with working with folks is that when they start introducing the good things or when they start understanding and demystifying their cravings, for example, they end up letting go of some of those things that they were trying really hard to let go of before. They were spending so much mental energy trying not to do things. And we switch the focus to the mental energy doing things that they should be doing. And all of a sudden, all that other crap, excuse my language, just kind of falls away. Okay. So, um, so what do we crave? And I'm sure that all of you are kind of thinking about what you crave right now. But with idiosyncrasies and exceptions aside, we often crave foods that are either sweet or salty. Sometimes variations or things in between. Sometimes folks crave things like um, vinegar, salt and vinegar chips. Those are also very salty in addition to being vinegary and kind of acidic. Um, and then um, we also crave what I started talking about before, which is comfort by association. Um, I have a five-month-old daughter, and um, I breastfeed her. And um, so she has been another kind of exploration of comfort foods because um, babies who breastfed, they're often hungry, and sometimes they're just having a hard time, and they want to nurse because they want to be comforted, right? It's me, she smells me, she hears my voice um, when we nurse. So if she's genuinely hungry, she'll take a bottle, no problem. Even for me, or like her papa, or my mom, or somebody like that. But if she's like 
really just kind of sleepy and like maybe would take a snack before bed or nap, she's going to scream bloody murder if you try to give her a bottle because that's not what she wants. She wants to be with me and she wants to hang out with me, right? So part of it is the comfort by association. Yes, it's the food. Yes, she wants the milk. But most of it in these situations of exhaustion or insecurity is that she wants to be with me, right? Um, and then, you know, there's that association that we immediately form between comfort and food. And being a mom has been really insightful for me because I realized that those um, associations begin really, really early. And what do we do when our babies cry? We want to make them, help them stop crying. And, you know, it's really easy to just want to give them, to breastfeed them, even if they're not hungry. And that's something that I've been trying to really work with is, is she hungry or does she just want to be comforted? And maybe I could soothe her in another way to try to make that nursing not just be the only thing that could comfort her, right? Because her whole life, she's going to have to comfort herself in a whole variety of other ways, okay? That's an example, personal example from my life. Um, so we seek comfort foods often, um, either because we're in an addictive cycle, right, where we crave them, which often has to do with hypoglycemia, which we can go into, um, we, or we crave comfort foods during challenging, stressful times, okay? And we often justify them by saying, I'm too, you know, too stressed out to think about anything else, or I deserve a treat, right, or those kinds of things, which is fine. I don't, I don't want to criticize any of those things, um, but that's often how we kind of get into those cycles. Um, so, when we're having stressful and challenging emotional times, um, it's actually quite natural to want things to self-soothe, and because many of us have that association between food and comfort, um, we're going to go after food as a way to soothe, soothe ourselves, even if there might be other things that might work as well. And so that's really where we get into the comfort by association, okay? Um, the other thing is that um, comfort, because eating is part of a survival mechanism, we have to eat, it makes total inherent sense that we would go for foods during times of insecurity. Because biologically, our nervous system is not gonna differentiate between the insecurity of going without water or food or not having a place to, a dry, warm place to sleep, and the insecurity that comes from social anxiety or difficulty with a coworker at work or stress from a job or driving 90 miles an hour on the freeway. The nervous system does not differentiate between different forms of stress. So your body could think, I'm under stress. It's, it could be that I'm like in a feast or fam in a famine kind of a situation, and eating is going to make me feel better because it's going to put my body at ease and it's going to um, make me feel like I'm being cared for. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So the first main point to really allow yourself to soak in and swallow and digest fully is comfort cravings are totally natural. There's nothing wrong with you. Your body, your nervous system is actually doing a good thing by saying, I'm having a hard time and I want to soothe myself. What we're going to try to do is transform our coping mechanism so that we have a broader range of tools in our bag and that we're using food in um, a little bit of a different way rather than just going for the kinds of foods you might crave that might be challenging. So here we have a picture of beautiful, sweet, bland foods, okay? We're going to come back to these and talk all about them medicinally. And here we have the salty flavored foods, right? So what's the big deal? Look at these delicious, wonderful, healthy foods. But we're not craving those really, right? <laughs> we're craving these kinds of salty, sweet foods, okay? I found this picture online, isn't it excellent? <laughs> it's like everything you possibly imagine. So these are the kinds of foods that often people are reaching for during times of insecurity. 
and um, these are not fulfilling our body's basic needs. Okay, so what we're gonna try to do is essentially un think about and talk about why we crave sweet and salty foods and then transform our, you know, talk about how we can think about transforming the thought process to reach to other healthier options and to center the diet around those healthier options in a, in a kind of everyday way curve cravings overall, and then if you do want to have these kinds of sweet treats sometimes, it's not going to throw off your whole physiology, okay? So, here we are, the sweet bland flavor. In the book, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the different flavors, and the primary flavors, um, and this is a part of every traditional healing system, is to talk about the flavors of foods and herbs, are sweet and bland, salty and mineral salty, which are the two that we're going to focus on right now, uh, bitter, pungent, so you know bitter, pungent is also spicy, and sour, okay? Um, so here we have sweet and bland, and obviously the first two are the ones we crave, and the other three is the ones we don't usually crave. So sweet and bland um, foods are nutrient staple foods from around the world. If you look at the different foods that are on this slide here, you're gonna see nuts and seeds, grains, um, you, I don't actually have any meat in this picture, but meat, like protein meat, falls into this category. Um, this is a spoonful of lard over here, so animal fat, animal like muscle meat, protein, eggs. Um, you have sweet vegetables, root vegetables, carrots, beets, sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, um, sweet fruits like apricots, dates, prunes. Um, and then we have natural sweet, oh, corn, of course. Um, and we have natural sweeteners, this is like a sucanot sugar, honey, maple syrup, all those things fall into the sweet bland flavor. So again, these aren't necessarily the foods you're craving, but this is an understanding of why you crave these foods, right? These are staple nourishing foods, the kind of foods that agriculturalists have relied on for hundreds of thousands of years to help to um, keep them alive, basically, okay? Um, so they're nourishing, building, and regenerative. When you eat sweet bland foods, they build the mass and substance of the body. So they build muscle, fat, connective tissue. They build blood and other body fluids. Um, and they strengthen hair, nails, skin, right? So they really are the substance of our body um, and help to kind of plump us up. If you eat too many, you get bogged down, heavy, and maybe you put on some extra mass, right? That's how it works. Um, they're heavy and moistening in their flavor. So moistening meaning that they have a demulsant action on the body. Um, and if you, you know, the difference between moist and dry in a human being, you'd see dry, dry skin, dry hair, dry nails. Moist would be nice, moist, plump skin. You have um, well-nourished hair, strong, healthy nails, right? So we need to eat these good foods to be able to support that kind of structure and substance and health in the body. And the other really important thing for our conversation today is that these foods are grounding. I mentioned the, er, the flavors in a very specific order, starting with sweet and salty because they're the heaviest. And you always start, and a lot of my training comes from Ayurveda, which is traditional Indian medicine, and you always start with the heaviest flavors and work your way down to the um, lighter flavors, okay? So we start with salty and sweet because they're the heaviest. They're the most grounding. So of course, in a time of insecurity, anxiety, restlessness, tension, whatever it is, you're gonna reach for that heaviest flavor so that it can ground you out, you feel nourished and at ease, you don't feel like you have to worry as much, the nervous system isn't on edge, and you get to relax, okay? So that's our sweet bland. And then we have our mineral salt and salty. So. Um, 
this is a really um, kind of a, it's almost two categories, because salty would be the taste that we get when we eat true salt. Table salt, sprinkle a little table salt on your finger, taste it, really salty. Um, mineral salt is the taste that we get, the salty taste that we get from eating minerals, foods that are rich in naturally occurring minerals, okay? So really good examples of that are Swiss chard, beet greens, parsley, celery, even seaweed. So seaweed has a true salt taste on top from residues of ocean water and then a mineral salt flavor underneath, indicating high nutrient content, okay? So on this slide here, you can see we have naturally salty vegetables and herbs on the outside, and then inside we have some unrefined mineral salt, we have seaweeds, we have some naturally salty herbs, cumin, coriander, and celery seed, um, and then we have some feta cheese, olives, um, capers, things that are cured with salt, right? So this category is uh, really important for a couple of reasons. One is that salty foods, salt, salty tastes, naturally stimulate the, the digestive process. Um, you can probably imagine putting salt on your tongue initiates saliva, uh, salivation um, and immediately starts to get the enzymes and acids in your mouth going to start pre-digesting food before you swallow it, it goes into the stomach. So the whole way down the GI tract, salt is going to be initiating the release of digestive acids and enzymes and promoting the digestive process, okay? Um, the Salt is also because, like I said, the salty vegetables, it's indicative of minerals. And um, in the cooking demo I did yesterday, we worked with some unrefined salt. And that unrefined salt had a little color to it. What that means is that the minerals that are naturally occurring in all salt were not washed or refined away. So when you eat unrefined salt, you're actually eating minerals. So it's, I call it a whole food salt, right? Um, so again, you're getting nutrition from whether it's a unrefined salt or a naturally salty vegetable, you're getting nutrition from that, which is really important. Um, the uh, salty flavor um, causes some water retention, which you might think of as a bad thing if you had it in excess. Um, but if you're cooking for yourself at home and just using um, salt to flavor your food, I never see people eat too much of it. You eat too much salt when you're eating a lot of packaged, refined, and processed foods. And everything that's um, packaged and refined has salt in it, like even canned tomatoes. You know, you just buy things that you think are totally pure and natural and they have a lot of added salt. So you have to be careful when you buy anything that's pre-prepared. But if you're cooking at home, you, I, like I said, rarely too much salt. And what it does, what a little bit of water retention does, is actually stimulates circulation of fluids in the body and softens hardnesses and helps to move fluids, okay? Because you have a little bit more, so it moves the lymph, moves the blood, and helps to stimulate the circulation as well as some detoxification. Um, and then again, like our sweet flavor, it's heavy, grounding, and moistening, okay? So if we're going to compo comprise um, a diet around these different foods, you can see that we actually have a lot of options to deeply nourish the body, right? And to work with our comfort foods and cravings using totally healthy, natural foods. And it's not like some boring mono diet, right? We have like all the food groups here, right? And we have, and especially over here, and it's gonna be flavorful and delicious and, um, you're going to be able to incorporate it into your diet in a lot of different ways, and by having a kind of naturally balanced diet, you're going to be working to naturally reduce your body's cravings, okay? So, this is a good slide. What do we do? <laughs> um, so I've already mentioned kind of a couple of things, but the big things that we want to be doing 
um, are getting the body the nutrients it really needs, okay? So um, I wanna just talk briefly about how sugar cravings work because many people probably either have sugar cravings themselves or know people who have sugar cravings. So sugar cravings, my favorite thing to say, is that they're real, okay? <laughs> Some of you are probably thinking, well, duh, of course they're real. But um, a lot of people think that they can fight sugar cravings in their mind like I, the example I gave before. And they can say, I'll just tell myself I won't eat sugar anymore. But actually, sugar is highly addictive. Um, it's, they say it's as addictive as cocaine. Um, and it creates real patterns that demand us to pay attention to it. So it's not really just as easy as saying, I'm not gonna eat sugar anymore. Your body may be uh, truly addicted to it. So there's times when we have, for whatever reason, natural or part of um, uh, physiological patterns, we have lower blood sugar than other times, okay? We naturally have lower blood sugar leading up to menstruation for those who did menstruate. So how many people, you don't have to raise their hand, but I'm sure many of you have experienced sugar cravings or cravings for chocolate leading up to a cycle. It's because blood sugar levels naturally go down and you crave sweet things or chocolate, which has a little caffeine, to give you a little bit more energy. And sugar will do that. Sugar will give you quick bursts of blood sugar and energy. And then oftentimes they will be kind of short-lived. So happens you want a little bit more and next thing you know you're doing the thing that we've been taught in the United States is a good thing small meals but all your small meals are like crackers and chips and you know like muffins and low nutrition high carb high sugar foods so you get yourself into a cycle and then next thing you know you're actually living on a diet that promotes low blood sugar and you have to eat these simple high sugar simple carbohydrate foods to keep blood sugar at a functional level Okay, and so what I think um, I've encountered a lot in my practice is that people think there's something wrong with them, that they can't stop eating sugar or they can't stop their cravings. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with you. These are real. This has nothing to do with what's going on in your mind. It's not mind over matter. This is a physiological thing that's happening for you. And we need to kind of break your body of that habit. The first thing we need to do is introduce regular balanced meals, okay? So here we have, um, it's a little bit down here at the end, but eating regular balanced meals is the most important thing that we can do to support cravings. So, for those of you, if you're here for yourself or someone else, if you're working with cravings in your life, the first thing I want you to do is stop thinking about eliminating foods and just focus on eating regular balanced meals. If you eat regular balanced meals and you wanna have all those same treats to start out with, that's fine, but you need to get yourself in the habit of supporting your body with high nutrition foods that are complex in nature so that your body has nutrition to work with over time. So what, what does that mean? It means complex carbohydrates, whole grains, it means fibrous vegetables, it means sugars from fruits that also contain fiber. So not no juice, you know, no high fructose, whatever. It's like a peach or an apple because when you eat that, your body's breaking down fibers. It's a slow release of sugar. So it's the opposite of like eating a Snickers bar or drinking a glass of juice where you get high sugar and then a crash, right? You eat an apple and it's just kind of like sustained blood sugar, blood sugar, blood sugar, kind of naturally. You eat a good balanced meal, blood sugar, blood sugar, blood sugar. Oh, I'm getting hungry again, right? Rather than Snickers bar, blood sugar. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, first thing to do is introduce regular balanced meals, complex carbohydrates, fat and protein with every meal. And I think one of the mistakes people make is that when they eliminate, a lot of people eliminate fat from their diet when they're working with cravings. Fat's actually really important for balancing the blood sugar plane, nourishing the endocrine system, and helping to reduce cravings. 
So fat and protein at every meal. So I tell my students, it's better not to just snack on an apple. Have apple with some nuts or apple with some cheese or something like that so that you're having a more balanced experience, even if it's just a snack. And then when you have a meal, making sure that that meal is relatively balanced, okay? And these philosophies can fit into almost any kind of a like dietary plan. You know, if you have some dietary philosophy that you believe in, you can almost always add regular balanced meals and these things we're talking about into whatever your, your latest diet thing is. You know, people like the paleo thing or they like the this or the that. And you can do this with whatever dietary practice you practice. Which is also part of the reason why I like it. Because I don't actually believe there's like a right diet out there. I feel like we each have our own thing that we need, but we all need regular balanced meals. So the other reason why we need regular balanced meals is because when you skip meals, your body becomes a little bit stressed out. Because remember that stress mechanism isn't differentiating between different kinds of stress. So if you miss a meal, your body might be thinking, am I in danger? And what happens when you think you might be in danger? You're insecure, you're ungrounded, you're anxious, and you say, I might need chips or I might get a cookie because I'm having a hard time, right? So it, it's all part of a feedback mechanism, okay? So, um, regular balanced meals, really important. And the other thing that might seem kind of out in left field, but it's really important is staying hydrated because dehydration triggers the same stress response in the body. So we wanna make sure that we're fully hydrated with really good quality water, right? Um, and making sure that that's part of our everyday routine. So well hydrated, regular balanced meals. And if you want to snack, making sure those snacks are also balanced. So um, the other thing that's really important is incorporating challenging flavors into your diet, and that's where I'm gonna go next. Um, but we want to not just eat sweet and bland, um, sweet bland and salty mineral salty foods. We also want to eat at least little bits of foods that are pungent or spicy, foods that are sour, and foods that are bitter. And that's where we're gonna go from here is talk a little bit about what those flavors do physiologically, and then with food, how we can incorporate them into our diet. Um, cooking with herbs. So the whole point of cooking with herbs is that herbs introduce diverse, challenging flavor profiles that counterbalance the staple foods that we should be eating, which are sweet, salty foods, right? Sweet or mineral salty foods, okay? So I think that people, I've learned that um, we have a mentality in our culture, the more the better. So you tell people, eat with herbs, you know, eat, eat this, eat that, or uh, I often tell people to massage themselves with oil to hydrate their skin. You come in, they come into the next appointment, and they're like, I ruined all my bed sheets because I was just putting too much oil on myself, right? And you're like, wait a minute, what happened to moderation, right? Or you tell them like, you know, oh, kombucha is good for you, or maybe you should have some naturally fermented foods for your digestion, and they come in and I can eat sauerkraut salads for lunch, and I have acid reflux, and I don't know why. You're like, because you're eating too much of it, right? So there, you actually can have too much of a good thing, and the whole benefit of cooking with herbs and introducing challenging flavor profiles is not that we should be eating those foods for our sustenance. We should be eating our sweet, bland foods, or staple foods. Herbs, sour, bitter, pungent condiments, are supplements to balance, challenge, and introduce diversity to an otherwise kind of boring, bland, mono diet. Does that make sense? Good. So that's kind of the premise of cooking with herbs, to support digestibility and regular healthy metabolic function, and then you're still eating all those same foods, you're just kind of practicing better food synergy. And then the last point here that I find really important and I don't think should be overlooked at all is to connect and share food with others. I think that the um, kind of 
project or the experience of comfort food cravings is largely wrapped up with comfort by association. And when, you, when I talk, talk to a lot of people about their comfort food cravings when I was writing this chap the comfort chapter, and a lot of people said, ooh, I crave this and that because it reminds me of this, that, or the other thing, right? Um, and that could be the refined process stuff that we were talking about. You know, maybe you grew up on those foods or you have other associations that feel comforting. Or maybe it's something like pot roast or roast chicken or macaroni and cheese, right? People have all kinds. I grew up vegetarian and my mom made like tofu and brown rice. And I'll tell you, I don't eat soy anymore, but if I really wanted a comfort food, I'd be like, mom, can you make me some tofu? Because that's what I grew up on, right? And that sounds like, why would you create that as a comfort food? Because that's what she fed me. So I think that the kind of experience of reconnecting with what we crave, why we crave it, and then when we have those cravings, think, what is my body really asking me for, right? That's that question. What does my body really need? Do I really need some diverse flavors? Did I miss a meal and that's currently why I'm craving something? Or maybe I'm cra craving that home-cooked meal experience. Or I'm craving that time in college when I lived off like Doritos or whatever it is, right? Like, What is it about that, that the association that's coming up and how can I fulfill that deeper craving and experience at more of a core level, okay? So, um, one thing that we'll get to is kind of recreating our favorite comfort foods. One of the chapters and uh, one of the recipes in the book is a recipe for making your own little like um, cheddar and dill crackers, right? So maybe you do crave like crunchy, salty kind of snacks. Well, why not make your own? When you make your own, you're really giving to yourself in a deep way. That's comforting, that's grounding, that's supportive and stabilizing. You feel loved and taken care of and you're getting your little salty, crunchy fix, right? Okay, so here we have um, bitter foods. Okay, so I'm gonna go through these flavors, bitter, sour, and pungent, tell you a little bit about them, how we can incorporate them into the diet to balance out our bland, staple foods. Um, so here are the bitter foods. This is the number one flavor missing from the modern American diet. Most people get their bitter foods through coffee, cocktail bitters, and beers. Okay, that's like most Americans, that's how they get their bitter foods, okay? I actually used to bartend and I was like always really fascinated by how people's relationship with beer, I could tell what was going on physiologically by the people who craved really hoppy, bitter beers, and then the people who craved like the sweet, like stouts and stuff like that, so I was doing a little undercover work in there. So um, these are some examples of bitter foods and herbs. We have dark chocolate, so before it's sweetened, chocolate is bitter. Even some sweetened chocolate, you can taste a little bit of it. That's why it's called bitter or bitter sweet. Um, these are raw cacao, um, and then we have some fenugreek chamomile, which chamomile, when it's first steeped as a tea, is nice and sweet, but if you steep it a long, longer term, it becomes bitter. We have all the teas down here. We have green teas, black teas, those have a bitterness to them. Um, burdock root, dandelion root are some herbs. Citrus peel of all kinds. This is a little washed out, but this is a grapefruit or a pomelo peel. So any kind of lemon peel, lime peel, anything like that all have bitterness to them. Um, and then we have, sorry about that, I don't know if it's that. Um, so then we have these bitter vegetables, okay? What did you say? Did it work? Oh. Sorry, I don't know. I don't really care. I mean, 
sorry for you guys, but <laughs> I think it'll be okay. Well, we can be adaptive here. So these bitter vegetables, we have mostly things from the um, uh, dandelion family or the chicory family. Um, and then we also have endives with rosés and things like this. So this is um, radicchio. Believe it or not, this is my number one pregnancy craving. I have no idea why. I was like addicted to it. But what did I want on it? Balsamic vinegar and little dried currants and toasted nuts. Okay? So it was bitter, but I was also adding in... What? Okay. Turn the TV off. Okay. Does anybody know how to do that? Sorry, I can't hear anybody. Um, I don't know. Huh. Well, um, if we see anybody from Mother News that could help, right here. Okay, power. Is that one working? Oh no, there's only one here. Okay, good, someone come and help. I'm gonna keep talking, okay, because I really want to get through this material, and hopefully someone can come and help us. But we can hold, okay, good, we can hold in our minds what the, these bitter foods are, and I can talk a little bit about what they do. So, um, bitter, we have taste buds on our tongue that are specifically designed to um, detect or respond to the bitter flavor. And they are connected to our enteric nervous system, which runs the length of our digestive system from our mouth all the way down to the end. And it has as many neurons as the brain and the spinal cord. So this is like major serious nerve system that's going on. And it orchestrates every aspect of digestion. It simulates the release of acid and enzymes in the stomach. It um, really stimulates the release of bile from the liver and the gallbladder. It stimulates the secretion um, it stimulates the uh, peristalsis, which is the muscular action that moves through the GI tract, and it controls the opening and closing of sphincters, okay, to let food into the stomach, let food out of the stomach, churn the food in the stomach. It is the single most important flavor for helping to normalize and support the function of the digestive system. And not ironically, the Urban Moonshine um, Bitters people are sitting right behind us, and you can taste bitters after this talk, okay? So what bitters do is, you know, stimulate this, the digestive system and support normal, healthy uh, metabolic function. They also stimulate liver function. And the liver is the organ that's most involved in regulating blood sugar levels and supporting hypoglycemia, or hopefully the lack thereof. And so incorporating bitters into our diet is one of the best things that we can do to physiologically balance our blood sugar and reduce cravings that are of a physiological nature. So remember before I talked about the kind of blood sugar cascade where we crave something that's high carb or high sugar, high simple carb ideal probably, um, to get a little burst of blood sugar and then we crash and then we want more and then we crash and then we want more and it becomes a vicious cycle. Bitters are the best foods or flavors that we can incorporate into our body to reduce that cascade and to help us to basically balance our cravings physiologically and then also help to um, help basically help us to want those foods less, right? So like I said before, rather than fighting with your mind, work with your body. So how can we incorporate bitters into our diet? I mostly do my bitters through my food. Um, if you've ever been to a, often in Europe, like Italy, France, you sit down to a meal and there's a little bitter green salad that comes out, right? Maybe there's some like bitter lettuces on that 
and you have it with a sour dressing and it stimulates the digestion and then you go and you eat your delicious rich pasta sauce or your big piece of meat or whatever it is and you feel pretty good afterwards, right? Maybe this has happened to you, maybe it hasn't. But it's part of a lot of cultural traditions to have an aperitif or a salad or a starter course that is very stimulating to the digestive process. And so when we were looking at the table of contents from the book earlier, we had the invigorate chapter and the challenge chapter. Most of these kind of starters and um, condiments that are designed to break up sweet, bland, heavier comfort foods are um, in those chapters because they're stimulating and challenging the body's metabolic processes, stimulating digestion, and basically being helping us get more nutrition from those foods that we're eating already, okay? So bitter green salads are a great way, and you would notice that most of the bitter vegetables that I had up here were salad greens, right? Um, these are not spicy greens. So arugula is a big popular green right now. That's very good and awesome. It's pungent flavor, not bitter. Okay? So we want bitter lettuces, um, radicchio, endive, frisee, um, and dandelion greens. And you can eat dandelion greens raw or cooked. Um, you can harvest them from your yard as long as you don't spray anything on them. Um, or you can purchase them oftentimes at a grocery store. Also bitter would be a lot of our cooking herbs. Rosemary, sage, thyme. So even just sprinkling herbs for flavor into your food, you might excuse me, have a bite of a little bitter flavor in with something else like, you know, macaroni and cheese or potatoes or roast chicken or those kinds of, you know, heavier, more grounding comfort foods, okay? Are we working? Oh, this is better than nothing. Better than nothing. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, I gotta just keep going here. Um, so, with bitter, remember, it's all about those taste buds. Yay, it's working, good job. Hero, second time. Um, so it's all about tasting it. So people say, well, oh, wow, my coffee is medicinal. Well, really, all you have to do is swish it and spit it out. I'm not saying you have to stop drinking coffee, but I'm just saying, like, if you put a bunch of sugar in it or if you're drinking lots of coffee, it's not necessarily medicinal anymore. It's all about the flavor. Um, so like with the urban moonshine bitters, and there's a lot of other people that make herbal bitters, the whole point is just tasting it on your tongue. And in the book, I have a recipe for basil bitters. It's a homemade bitters with some dandelion root, lots of fresh basil, citrus peel. It makes a really flavorful, delicious bitters in an alcohol base, and you just put a few drops into a sip of water, and you have that sip of water, and you taste the bitterness, and it gets your whole digestion going. It will help curb cravings, and it'll help you get more nutrition out of the food that you eat, because it stimulates all those digestive processes. It's also excellent for, um, uh, I don't wanna lose my train of thought. No, it's okay. Um, it's excellent for the cravings. Oh, and it's excellent for things like acid reflux, indigestion, heartburn, a lot of different GI issues. The only time I don't use bitters are people that have overly fast metabolism, already lose stools. That's a good time to avoid bitters because it can speed up the metabolism. Uh huh. So you, we talk a lot about like I have a fast metabolism or slow metabolism. Bitters are good for people with like, normal to slower metabolism, not necessarily fast metabolism. Um, and that would be supplemental bitters. Everybody can eat bitter foods. So again, bitters, like sour, which we're going to next, and like pungent, are not main courses. They're little accents or flavor enhancers, okay? Let's live with this. Oh, good, thank you. So we can have less distraction. So here we are with sour. Um, this is another of the more challenging flavors. Sour flavors stimulate the release of digestive acids and enzymes starting in the mouth. If you ever put something really sour, like a lime, piece of lime in your mouth, makes you salivate, right? 
So that, the sour flavor, stimulates the digestive process and also stimulates liver function. It's very cleansing for the liver and detoxifying um, and will help to also balance the blood sugar levels. So incorporating sour foods into your diet is going to be another good thing for helping to balance the plate. You know, you might put some um, lemon juice on some greens, um, or you might put a little lemon in some water and sip it before a meal, right? Sour foods, especially sour citrus in larger quantities, like lemon and water or something like that, can irritate acid reflux, heartburn, and digestion. So if you have those things, you might avoid larger amounts. Um, you'd probably be fine with a little bit on like some greens as part of a meal or in a salad dressing as part of a meal. Um, but in terms of like larger amounts, then you might not want to avoid that. But again, the point is not to do it to excess. The point is to have these flavors as accents to basically make your food taste better is the short of it, right? Um, but also to challenge the system, support digestion, and help balance the blood sugar. And here we have pungent. And pungent is probably where we have the most um, culinary herbs. Uh, we have lots of flavor accents here, hot peppers, ginger, scallions, onions, raw, raw garlic and onions. Once you cook garlic and onions, they get sweeter. You probably know that, like a caramelized onion is sweet. A raw onion is um, uh, very pungent, spicy, okay? Um, so then we have black pepper. Black pepper and salt on almost every table, anywhere in America, they're both digestive aids, right? It'd be good if it was unrefined salt, and it's not. But salt stimulates the secretion of acids and enzymes, gets the digestion going. Black pepper, pungent, also gets the digestion going, okay? Um, radish is a spicy, uh, pungent vegetable. We have basil, mint, thyme, sage. And so, interestingly, we can have different combinations of flavors in some of these herbs and foods. Uh, basil, for example, is both bitter and pungent. So is thyme and sage and rosemary. So we have crossover between the two categories. So the pungent flavor is amazing for the circulatory system. As you'll notice, some of these herbs are what we call spicy or hot. You know, you don't really necessarily um, want to just chew on one of those hot peppers. It might be really fiery. And what that does is it stimulates circulation all over the body throughout the entire cardiovascular system all the way to the level of the capillaries. That's going to improve our immune response and support our cardiovascular health. Okay. And then also what pungent herbs do, the warmth of them stimulates circulation to the GI tract. So bringing blood to the GI tract helps break down and absorb nutrients from the food that we're eating. So they're really wonderful and pretty potent digestive aids or digestive stimulants, helping us to get more nutrition from the food that we're eating. Again, it's so, so, so important. I feel like my motto for the workshop is like, more is not better, right? We don't want to be overdoing it with spicy foods. One of the big imbalances I see in my practice are people that are coming in and they're really into spicy foods. I just love spicy foods so much. And what are their problems? That too fast metabolism, runny stools, acid reflux, heartburn, inflammation of the GI tract, right? So too, you don't want too much, it's a little bit. We put a little black pepper in something that we're cooking, you know, cook something with a little bit of clove or maybe, maybe a little raw garlic, right? But we don't need a lot of that stuff, okay? These are accents. And so you can see how the art of cooking is actually a practice of balancing the plate and introducing diverse flavors into a variety of different kinds of dishes, right? I mean, probably even the um, quicket, the people that are trying to make food the quickest don't cook things without any salt. 
right? I mean, at the very least, you can put a little salt pepper on something, right? And if you have a well-stocked dried herb shelf, why not throw a few herbs on there, too? And, it, and then all of a sudden, you're like, it's not even hard to peel a clove of garlic and smush that on there, right? You can kind of start to get into it if you have a well-stocked kitchen. And that's literally what cooking is. It is the science and art of combining different flavors to make food more digestible. And it's all a bonus that it tastes good, right? But we can think about it as, I think a lot of people think, I cook to make my food taste good. You cook to make your food more digestible, right? You're, that's what you're doing for your body. And we've just decided that it tastes good, right? Culinary herbs are not picked because they taste good. They're part of a long cultural tradition um, of being medicinal in our food. They support digestion and they're antibacterial and antimicrobial, right? They help to kill foodborne pathogens that we might be exposed to. So it's not all about, it, the bonus is the pleasure and the deliciousness, right? Otherwise, it's about healthy physiological function. Okay. So I just wanted to highlight some recipes that could give us some examples of this in action and in practice. So these are all recipes from the book. This is a spinach and grapefruit salad with toasted pumpkin seeds. So we have really nourishing, delicious, mineral salty spinach with a nice sour um, accent of the grapefruit. Um, with a vinaigrette that has um, raw shallots in it, just a little bit of finely chopped, chopped, chopped shallots, and some vinegar and oil, salt and pepper, and that is going to make a basically very nourishing food with lots of flavorful accents. This is the perfect side dish to have alongside your wonderful, heavy, delicious comfort foods, right? You want to make macaroni and cheese for dinner? Go for it and have it with a salad like this so that you can be introducing a lot of different flavors and getting that good nutrition because when we talk about that answer to that question, what does your body really need? Your body is craving real nutrition. It's craving long, sustained blood sugar, okay? Not those quick fixes. So again, introducing these flavors is gonna support your physiological process to be able to get to that place of having less cravings. It's also going to make the foods that you're eating more digestible. So this is a great example of a side dish, a first course, kind of a starter. Um, it can be incorporated in with a variety of different foods um, to help balance the plate and also support your physiology. And this is chicories with warm vinaigrette. So this is, these are the bitter greens. Um, and we have um, endive radicchio frisee and it's tossed with a, a vinaigrette that has warm um, shallots that are cooked in butter and then finished with white wine and vinegars added to it um, with oil. And you put it over the um, bitter greens and they sort of like soften them a little bit. They don't cook them, but it just kind of like warms up the salad, makes it super delicious in my opinion, makes it more digestible. And so we have really bitter greens in this situation, but when we cook the shallot, it becomes sweetened. So we're actually making, taking the bitter greens and sweetening them up a little bit with our dressing and also adding that little bit of acidity which supports digestion. So this is kind of the opposite of our comfort foods that we might be adding things like bitter herbs or pungent herbs. Here we're starting with a bitter main course and introducing sweeter things to that. These are dandelion greens, and there's a lot of different dandelion green recipes um, in the book because they're such a good bitter food. They're almost all in the challenge chapter because the bitter flavor is challenging to the system and to many of us to the taste buds. Um, my husband hates bitter tasting things, and we laugh about it because it's a sweet tooth, but I'm just like, have some bitter things, you know? <laughs> he might be coming around. He got into the radicchio craze during pregnancy, so it might be working out. But 
Um, I, I do think you'll start to crave these things as you as you start to incorporate them into your diet. So the dandelion greens, you can do a lot of different ways. You can do a salad. Um, this is preparation for a dandelion green with garlic, mustard, vinaigrette. Um, I also like to cook them. So there's um, the there's also a wilted dandelion greens with garlic confit. You slow cook the garlic in oil to sweeten them, and then mash them in with the sauteed dandelion greens. So that's another example of sweetening the herb and then using the bitter green to kind of balance the flavor of the bitterness. And there's also, this is actually in the comfort food chapter, and you might be annoyed, like why would I want to eat dandelion greens with my comfort food, right? But I think it's comforting. It's like um, heavy potato, you know, potatoes with um, white beans and dandelion greens, and then it has the lemon in it. So it's a really good example of how we're taking heavier comforting foods like potatoes and beans and those kinds of staple sweet bland foods, and we're incorporating them in with bitter greens and sour citrus to make a balanced flavor profile. Is this making sense? Um, and in traditional medicine, especially in Ayurveda, they say you should have each flavor at each meal. But again, you're not sitting down to a bowl of like sour lemons and sauerkraut. You're trying to eat those mainly those sweet, bland, nourishing staple foods, and you're incorporating those diverse flavors into it to make them more digestible. So. This is um, also from the comfort food chapter. This is Spanakopita with fresh herbs and wild greens. Spanakopita, I think, is really comforting. It has all kinds of delicious cheeses in it. This filo dough on top is layered with butter, and yet it's like full of greens, right? So you're getting all the good nutrients from the greens. This is our salty flavor profile um, in a comforting, almost like macaroni and cheesy kind of a thing. And it had, it's topped with um, fennel seeds or dill seeds, something that has a bitter or pungent flavor. And then in the recipe, um, it calls for fresh oregano, basil, other herbs to support digestion. And I often make my spanakopita with wild herbs. So I might do nettle or dandelion greens or things that are bitter and diverse in flavor to kind of jazz it up a little bit. Um, braised beef with a gremolata. So um, this is a slow-cooked beef shanks, um, and when you slow-cook meat, you're breaking down the cartilage and the connective tissue, and you're rendering those otherwise tough and inedible cuts more digestible and more delicious. So we have great fat, great protein in this meal, and then we're topping it, it's actually full of herb when you cook it, but then we top it with a fresh parsley gremolata. So it's just like fresh curly parsley chopped up with some grated um, lemon zest and orange zest and a little bit of chopped garlic. And you put that on top to really, again, bring that interesting flavor and those um, more fresh flavors into the dish. And that's a really good way to incorporate the herbs as well is fresh accents, right? So kind of like those fresh salads we talked about, condiments like pestos, chutneys, sauces are a great way to get more herbs and balance the plate with different flavors. Um, crispy sage in a roasted garlic risotto. So this is another food from the comfort chapter. Um, and again, risotto, it's like delicious rice cooked with stock and lots of cheese and cream. And you put these crispy sage leaves in and um, they have a more bitter flavor that you're, you mix like a whole cup of these crispy sage leaves in with the risotto. So you have this delicious great um, sage flavor, introduces the bitter flavor and kind of livens up your comfort food. Do these sound comforting and good to you? Or are you thinking, this is not what I want to eat, I want to eat chips? <laughs> Hopefully you're thinking, you like, this sounds good. Baked ricotta, this is another comfort food chapter. So um, ricotta is really high in protein. Um, so you're gonna have, again, the balance that you're really nourishing your body with good nutrition and it has lots of fresh herbs. 
this is a great recipe to have on hand. You can just use any fresh herbs that you have. Um, and it has a little egg in it too to make it more of a custard. Again, added nutrition. And then, why can't our treats be comforting too, right? <laughs> so um, this is a uh, cornmeal and hazelnut cake that has a rosemary honey topping on it. So the cake is um, gluten-free, has hazelnuts in it, so it's very high in protein and nutrition, has lots of good fat in it, and then you're topping it with this honey that is sweet but also has the bitter flavor of rosemary in, in a couple of bites right as you're eating it so again I don't think that um, comfort foods or anything have to be exclusive to any one category I think that we can really be more diverse in our thinking about them and we want to think about how we can work with our cravings as being an entire lifestyle right it's a lifestyle of sitting down to eat enjoying food with others cooking for ourselves as part of the nourishment and the giving and the fulfilling of the craving and then we also have really working these different flavors into our diet to support better physiology and to support our metabolism, okay? And I'll tell you that this is from the challenge chapter, right? So this whole idea that challenging foods can also be sweet treats. And then what I talk about in the book is we we're challenged a lot by trying to avoid these foods. And I think we'd be better off rather than trying to avoid, to think about what we can incorporate, how we can better kind of balance and manage our diet, and most importantly, how we can learn to really listen to our body and tune into that so you can start to understand when and why you're having your comfort cravings. And you might notice regular balanced meals, for example, really helps. Or maybe if you were better hydrated, you'd have less cravings. Or maybe it's very linked in with your cycle. Um, or it has to do with stress or sickness. But only you can find the answers to those things. And so it becomes, again, that process of learning the language of your body. So I want to thank you all so much for coming. Um, and uh, you are welcome to come and take a look at the book. And I have information and um, brochures up here on Time Herbal that you're welcome to come take a look at as well. And as I said, the book isn't available anymore in the store, but you can order it with free shipping. And I can sign a sticker for you that you can put right in your book. Okay, so thank you all so much for coming. I hope you had a wonderful conference. Safe drives home. Thank you. You're welcome. Would you mind signing? I would love to sign a sticker.